0: It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Destination Dynasty. As always, I am your gracious host, Scott Connor. You can follow me on Twitter at Charles Chill FFB. Everything over at Destination Devi at Patreon.com slash All Gas. And if you're interested in Warp, uh, we did a patron episode on Dynasty and Chill, which is Patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill, uh, with Dynasty Koopa at Koopa Troopa 8 on Discord. And at Dynasty Koopa on Twitter, we talked all about the Warp Tool and how to use it for roster construction. Uh, You get access to that and much more bonus content for me over on Patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. So check that out. Today's episode is going to be one uh, that is near and dear to my heart. It is uh, me coming out and admitting to some of my mistakes, things that I have been wrong about, things that I am working on in my own Dynasty portfolio, And the title is going to be three dynasty mistakes that I have made over the past year or two, and that I am currently working to correct before the season. So I know that is not a super catchy title, uh, but I'm going to dive into a couple different things that I am working on actively in my leagues, whether that is via trades, via the waiver wire, via maneuvering my roster construction around things that I'm going to be working on as we get closer to the season during this quote unquote dead period where we do have OTAs, and then we have mini camps, but then there's a break. There's a break until the start of training camp and then the beginning of the preseason. So not that it's a dead period. It's a dead period for real news, uh, but it's usually an active period for people in leagues that are looking for something to do. And a lot of times that is trades, that is looking at my roster, Considering my roster construction, where is it at? How can I fix it? Uh, So that's going to be part of what I'm going to talk about in today's episode. Three mistakes that I have made that I'm actively looking to fix or tweak before the start of the season. And with that said, before we get started with the show, check out the newsletter. Uh, There wasn't one this past week, but it'll be fired up starting again next week. It is allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe. You get content from the Destination Devi crew in your inbox every Friday. So check out the newsletter, sign up with your email and get that content for free. And then finally, I have to plug the warp tool. Awesome. It's really helped me. I'm continuing to use it every single week. Uh, The warp tool at southharmonff.com backslash warp. You can try it out. There is a discount code that you can use for 20% off for one full year of a subscription. Use discount code CHILL, C-H-I-L-L. All capital letters, I don't know if it matters, but that is what I was told is use all capital letters CHILL to get access to 20% off for a year-long subscription with the warp tool. And if you're not sure if it can help you, you want to just try it out for a month, use the discount code Trial, So C-H-I-L-L-T-R-I-A-L. You get 50% off of the first month. So if you just want to try it, plug in your leagues, see what it looks like, see if it can help you try it out. Chill Trial. put that in there at sign up and you get the first month at 50% off. And then finally, shout out, This is not a sponsor at all, uh, but it is something that I use, and it's going to be a patron show that I'm going to be doing on Dynasty and Chill this coming Thursday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, live on YouTube. Uh, It is Jeremy Timpero, uh, the owner of Dynasty Daddy. It's dynasty-daddy.com, an awesome portfolio tool. There's a bunch of stuff on there that really I don't even know how to use, but we're going to talk about that on the show. It's going to be live on YouTube, 7 p.m. Eastern, this Thursday night, June 8th so you get access to that if you sign up for the Dynasty and Chill Patreon feed and that will be live on Thursday at 7 o'clock talking all things Dynasty Daddy and how it can help you with your Dynasty portfolio. So tonight's first topic is going to be my own personal portfolio based on my roster construction series that I did back in November and December. Now this is going to be based on a 1.75 tight end premium. It's going to be based on a 12 team super flex with 11 starters and it's also going to be based on the fact that we're probably working with slightly expanded rosters for now uh, but they're going to be cut down at some point probably down to 30 32 but let's just use 30 for this example And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to use this as a baseline and talk about my individual portfolio. And this is my first mistake uh, that I noticed in my portfolio after I got this warp tool and started playing around with it. On average, I would say most of my leagues are right around this tight end premium. I have some that are 2 PPR. I have some that are 1.5 PPR. And I have some that are start 2. I have a couple that are more than 2 PPR. I don't believe I have any that are under 1.5 PPR. There's some that are in there that are a little bit higher. So like 1.65, 1.85, just because there's different bonuses, first down bonuses, yardage bonuses. Uh, But I don't have any that are under 1.5. So I think generally I can use my roster construction across my entire portfolio and just talk about what that looks like compared to what the optimal data says that it should be. And one of the observations that I found is that in my roster construction series, if you go back and listen to those shows, I talked about that even in 1.75 or 2 PPR, and 1.75 is that range to where you start to get into more tight ends than are required to start across the league that can be flexed. And that is the format where you say, okay, I can start rostering extra tight ends because, well, they can technically play in the flex. So 1.75, you're right around like the top 15 tight ends are in that flex threshold. Meaning if you have multiples, you're okay having multiple top 15 tight ends because you can flex one of the tight ends in that range. It doesn't hurt you. It's not hurting you relative to a running back or relative to a wide receiver. It's even more magnified when you get into two PPR. It's right around 20 to where if you have multiple top 20 tight ends or so, You can tell yourself a story where you can flex those guys with the same viability, if not a little bit higher than the other positions. So in those two formats I talked about in the roster construction series, it's okay to roster more tight ends. Now, optimally, do I want to carry a ton of tight ends? No, I probably want to carry a couple extras and they have to still be within that threshold. I think that is the big key takeaway from that show is even in a two PPR league, Sure, I can start taking more tight ends, especially in the off season when rosters are expanded. In rookie drafts, I can draft a couple extra tight ends because I can probably roster construct to where I can carry a little bit extra. Instead of carrying three, which would be optimal for me in a 1.5 premium, I can probably carry five. I can potentially carry six, depending on how good they are. And when I say top 20, that doesn't mean they have to be a top 20 dynasty tight end. They can be a combination of both. I like to say, If I have a player that isn't a top 20 dynasty tight end, but they could produce like a top 20 dynasty tight end in the format, they count. So think of somebody like Tyler Conklin, not valued there, but you could see a world where Tyler Conklin, a guy that had 80 plus targets last year, could end up being a top 20 tight end. And if he does that, most likely that's going to be in a range where he would be flexible in a two PPR league. Doesn't mean he's valued there. On the other hand, you have guys that are valued in the top 20. You could say somebody like Daniel Bellinger, somebody like Cade Otten, Isaiah Likely. There's a lot of young tight ends. They may not be technically top 20 producers, but they have close to top 20 value. So you can say, okay, they're also worth a roster spot. If I'm roster constructing this way and I'm okay to handle or to hold six tight ends in this format, I can stomach carrying an Isaiah Likely or a Cade Otten or a Daniel Bellinger. Like can, I can hold a couple younger guys that just aren't there yet because they're not going to probably produce to that level right away, but I can justify a roster spot because of the format. You know, I'm using that extra roster spot to say, hey, okay, I anticipate that a guy like Brenton Strange in two years potentially could hit that top 20 range and all of a sudden that's a player that's in that threshold and I probably got him at a price where it wasn't that costly to acquire him, but this would be the format that I would want to get my shares in. However, you start getting that idea in your head You get into the offseason, you see some players that become available. Everyone knows from America's Game, we talked a lot about tight ends. We talked a lot about correlation between draft capital and RAS score 40 times. There's a lot of interesting tight ends out there in Dynasty that you may find yourself stashing in these formats. Not a 1.5 premium, but anything higher, we're all guilty of it. We're all guilty of going, yeah, I really like that guy's profile. I really like Hunter Long. I really like this tight end, Albert Okwebenom. I really like him. You know, If I can find him on waivers, I'll pick him up and I'll stash him because you really never know. It is a position that's very unpredictable. However, what I found when I started going through my portfolio was, sure, I was probably roster constructing kind of to the constraints that I was talking about, but I let it go a little bit overboard. Now, obviously, rosters are expanded. You're looking for players to hold There's only so many players you can justify keeping when you're not rostering a lot of the roster clogger receivers that I talk about. You got to find somebody to fill those spots. So unless they are specific backup quarterbacks, which I've cut down on a lot of the backup quarterbacks that I rostered from the offseason, right? We talked about that at the end of the year. Really, there's only probably 10 to 15 backup quarterbacks that I'm even willing to carry. So then you get into, okay, how many running backs can I carry? Any running back that can make a roster, you could justify a roster spot on. But then what do you default to if you're not going to carry a lot of the roster clogger receivers? And the answer is ultimately extra tight ends. So I started going through my portfolio and saying, well, you know, where do I maybe have some rule violations and what should be my goal to maybe try to fix over this offseason. So I did a little bit of a deeper dive on my portfolio and then I compared it to the warp data from the last three years. So I'm going to share both of those results and where the glaring mistake was in my dynasty portfolio. Now, keep in mind, rosters have been expanded. I've looked for players to add. So I've added a lot of these high-ras tight ends that are just sitting out there. But I really didn't have a plan on how I was going to get back in alignment. And so what I did is I literally went through my entire portfolio of 50 teams, and I just looked at the aggregate. How many am I carrying at each position? And I would say that I am probably 90% or more compliant in terms of the roster construction that I preach. I'm close to that in the culmination of all my leagues. So these numbers should line up in theory with what a lot of the warp data is telling me. So what I did is I went through and I averaged how many players am I carrying per team? And the number was 33.36. So that includes some expanded rosters. Obviously, there's some leagues in there, 40-man rosters, 32-man rosters. There's there's a bunch of different formats that are in that number, right? But in total, it's 33.36 players that I'm carrying per team. So then I looked at what is the distribution per position. So again, my roster construction series was 30. And I recommended somewhere around four quarterbacks, somewhere around four to six tight ends. So let's call it five. I needed to get enough threshold receivers to cover the flexes. So we'll add to that, we'll say another seven or eight receivers. And then that leaves me the rest of the positions being running backs. So let's call it 13 running backs. So 13 running backs, eight receivers, four quarterbacks, five tight ends. That gets me to 30. When you expand that out, maybe four or five slots just for the rookie picks, just for the expansion for the offseason, you maybe add one at each position and then maybe an extra running back in there potentially. But the idea is, is my portfolio within alignment of what that roster construction series says? So when I looked at these numbers, they weren't exactly online. So my quarterbacks on average 4.5 quarterbacks. So with quarterbacks, I'm right there. I'm usually pretty dialed in from a quarterback perspective. Quarterbacks can be treated as independent positions from all the others because obviously you can't flex a quarterback unless it's a super flex. So the quarterbacks were right in line, right? I'm right around four and a half quarterbacks per team, which is exactly where I want to be. That includes some backup quarterbacks, that includes some rookie quarterbacks that I've picked up for free. But other than that, that probably ends up getting cut down to about four, and that's exactly where I want to be. But where are the other positions? Where am I maybe a little bit too heavy, and where am I maybe a little bit too light? So then we move on next to the wide receivers. So receivers, I'm at 836 So, again, I'm actually probably a little bit too high at receivers, given that a lot of my formats are 1.75 or 2 PPR for tight ends. I'm probably a little bit high at receivers. Now, how do I fix that? And I examined some of my receiver shares and I said, okay, where am I maybe a little bit too heavy? Now, the problem for me is it isn't roster cloggers that I'm too heavy on, right? I've already gone through and looked at my receivers total. And other than just some free shares of guys like Tyler Scott, A.T. Perry, Puka Nakua, and that is a total of three shares between those three guys, there's really no roster clogger receivers that I'm carrying. Now, there could be a couple players that end up in roster clogger range. So you could say a guy like Corey Davis, right? If he were to get cut and not sign with another team or sign with a really, really bad situation with an inefficient quarterback, I could probably say, you know what, he goes down to roster clogger. I think he's somebody that you could say is right on the fringe of literally being cuttable. In fact, I could probably cut him and decide tomorrow that Corey Davis is a roster clogger receiver and cut him. But I don't have too much of that. I probably only have a dozen or less total shares of receivers. That I could cut. And throughout my entire portfolio, I'm rostering 418 receivers. So even if that was down to like 400, I still would be over eight on average. And it's pretty much right where I'd say I'd want to be at the upper limit. So how do I fix that? I can't fix it by cutting players, right? Because I don't have a lot of roster cloggers inherently in my portfolio. So probably how do I fix that? And the answer is going through and looking at how many of these receivers am I rostering that are probably. They're not roster cloggers. They're usable. They're guys that are probably top 60, 70, 80 receivers. I can justify a roster spot on them in a lineup league. But then I also look and I go, you know what? Can I get two third rounders for this player? Can I get a second rounder for this player? Like, where can I maybe liquidate a couple shares of guys like Tyler Boyd, Michael Gallup, KJ Osborne, Josh Palmer? Chase Claypool. There's a ton of guys like that. And I go, yeah, you know, I have five shares of that and I have six shares of KJ Osborne, which is fine. You know, when you're playing in a start 12 or start 13 league, like those are usable shares. At the same time, can I maybe liquidate a couple of those and even some higher end ones? You know, I have guys like Rashad Bateman or Juju Smith-Schuster or Marquise Brown. Like there's players that are even a tier above those guys. And you can say, you know what, if I can liquidate one of those guys for a second, two seconds, I just traded Rashad Bateman for two seconds over the weekend. He was my highest rostered receiver. That's a perfect move for me, even though you might say, you know what, maybe you'll hold out for a little bit more. Or, you know, in a start 11, maybe I'd want to get a second and another receiver instead of two seconds. But the idea was the liquidation was powerful for me in that situation. So that's probably where I can fix receivers. So I don't think I have a lot of room that I'm leaving a lot of meat on the bone at receiver. Sure. I could liquidate some players and I plan on doing that. You know, I have eight shares of a guy like Zay Flowers. I have eight shares of Keyshawn Boutte that I took really late. And that was a player that I simply took to liquidate, right? I took the name a lot of times in the late third, early fourth, when I couldn't get a pick on the clock for the future. I took Keyshawn Boutte simply going, he's a name People like him. That's a player that if he does well in the preseason, I will be able to flip some of those picks that I couldn't get a third on the clock. I can get a future third just because of the name. So I think I have some liquidation opportunity at receiver. Other than that, though, I'm super efficient at quarterback and I'm pretty efficient at receiver. So this is where I figured the mistake was. The running backs and the tight ends. So as of two weeks ago, I was just under 13 in terms of running backs, 13 per team that I was carrying. And I go, you know what? 13 out of 30. Sure. That's close to that magic 14 number that I talked about, but across an entire portfolio, it's probably a little bit short. You know, I was rostering just around 650 shares of running backs. And I probably wanted that to be more around like 700. I wanted that to be more about 14, but probably even higher. If you think about it, If you expand rosters in the offseason, what do I probably want to carry the most of? You know, if I say 14 out of 30 is that sweet spot for roster construction, I probably want to be around 16 or 17 running backs per team in the offseason, which means what I'm doing is probably not carrying enough of these running backs that are sitting out there that are even not on NFL rosters, but have a chance to make a 53-man roster. Now, obviously, for lineup leagues, we know that theory of if they're on a 53-man roster, hashtag any running back on a 53, they're viable to hold in that type of format. And I had cut a lot of those guys. I had cut some shares of players like Kenyon Drake, players like Damian Williams, Daryl Williams, Mike Davis, Justin Jackson, Melvin Gordon, a ton of those guys I had cut in certain spots. Now, obviously, there are some leagues where you can't hold them all, and I understand that. But there's also some opportunities where I go, those guys are just sitting out there. And the beauty of picking guys like that up is they are very easy cuts if they are not on an NFL roster when the preseason ends. Like it's not, there is not a question mark about, oh, do I hold him into the season? No, I can always get that type of player back. So I go, I need to expose my portfolio to higher numbers of running backs. I need to start picking some of those guys up, even though they're not signed, even though they might be the fourth or fifth running back on a team. I've dropped some Salvin Ahmed, some Miles Gaskins, like those types of guys are buried, right? But I probably should be rostering those over the number that I found that was a mistake. I was at almost eight tight ends per team. My tight end number was almost up to eight per roster and so I'm sitting here going like yeah man historically that's probably too high even in the offseason if my target number was around five per team and I'm at eight that means essentially I'm stashing three extra tight ends per team you know two to three extra tight ends per team but then I think about the tight end position and what were the flex rates of the tight ends in those formats, the 1.75 or the 2 PPR, and why am I carrying so many of these extra tight ends? Then I started looking at who are the tight ends that I have just on a ton of rosters. You know, I'm carrying a ton of guys like Grant Calcaterra, and shout out to the Washington tight ends, Cole Turner and Armani Rogers. I was over 15 shares of both of those guys because I like their RAS profiles. I like their profiles in general. Hunter Long, I had 15 shares of Hunter Long, double-figure shares of O.J. Howard I'm still holding, double-figure shares of Charlie Kohler, tons of Peyton Hender shots. I mean, you can go down the line in terms of guys that I might be stashing based on their RAS scores. I was carrying a ton of those guys. Then I started to accumulate some of the rookies. You know, I just went hog wild on waivers going, hey, let me grab as many Will Mallory shares as I can, as many Josh Wiley shares as I can, some Elijah Higgins shares. How about some Davis Allen shares? So I look up with 90% of my rookie drafts done and I go, man, I'm really kind of overexposed at the tight end position. You know, This number is around eight and it really should be around five. So that was the big mistake. And then I go, you know what, though? Is it really a mistake, right? There's a really wide net that I'm casting at tight end along with running back. And I kind of figured, you know what? I'm going to have a better idea of what these tight ends are. And I'm going to know what to do with them when we get to the end of the preseason. But then I started thinking about it. And it was a blurb that I saw just randomly on Twitter about a tight end that I liked last year that I added a ton of shares of. And then literally he never got opportunity until the end of the year. He was only active, I believe, for one game at the end of the season. And it was Saints rookie tight end who was a UDFA with a really high RAS score named Lucas Kroll. And Lucas Kroll actually was getting a little bit of buzz in OTAs. And I'm going, you know what? That's interesting because I had given up on Lucas Kroll. I figured he didn't even crack the active roster last year. And so I cut him everywhere. And then I go, you well, know, he's getting buzz in year two. And I had always liked his profile. So when I think back, why did I ever have 15 plus shares of a guy like Lucas Kroll? And I'm not saying that he was a player that you should have had or shouldn't have had, but it was a guy that I was adding because I liked his profile. But then I cut him all. I went from 15 last year during the season that I was just stashing down to zero. In the offseason, I categorized him as a guy I don't need any of, right? There's no reason for me to have any shares of this player anymore. And then randomly, out of the blue, I see a blurb. You know what? He's making a little bit of noise in OTAs. He's fighting for maybe having a role this year. And I go, wait, should I start picking him back up? And then I look at my tight end portfolio, and I go, I'm already carrying too many of them. And that was a lesson learned. So there was that one lesson, and then the other one was Armani Rogers. Shout out to Armani Rogers. At one point, he was my highest rostered tight end. Really good RAS score, converted quarterback, actually flashed last year with Washington. And I go, you know what? This is a guy I'm going to stash everywhere. I had over 22 shares of Armani Rogers at one point. And then he tore his Achilles. Literally tore his Achilles while he was doing a private workout. Guess what? A guy like that that is a fringe roster player, as soon as he tore his Achilles, within an hour, I went in and I cut him in all 22 leagues. And I go, you know what? That's all it took for me to give up on him. It was just that. And I thought about it. You know what? My life would be a lot easier if you had that decision point on all of these players that made me say, yep, that's an easy cut. But here's the problem the traditional path for a tight end like that is not like Armani Rogers, right? It takes a little bit of time and you don't get the the torn Achilles that makes it very easy to say, I'm going to give up. If anything, the path looks more like Lucas Kroll, where does nothing because of course he's an undrafted free agent tight end who hangs around, you know, they sign, they promote him at the end of the year. He's still signed the next season starts to flash a little bit in OTAs. Maybe he earns a small role this year. And then by the time you get to like year three, year four, maybe even year five, where he could go to his maybe second team, you go, you know what, maybe this is guys worth a roster spot. And I'm like, that is a long track. And it's something that I've always kind of known. We always know that about tight ends. It doesn't happen overnight. Yet here I am sitting with all these extra shares of these tight ends. And I go, you know what, I'm not going to get a lot of clarity on these guys quickly by the end of the preseason, there's going to be a lot of them. I'm going to go, ah, eh, man, I like his profile, but I got to cut a few shares. So I went to the top and I said, you know what? I got to start cutting down on guys like Peyton Hendershot, Cole Turner, Charlie Kohler, Grant Calcaterra, Hunter Long. Like I got to start cutting my shares down to those guys. I can't hold as many. And if anything, for the same reason that I think I should probably cut them because I'm not going to get a quick decision point on them is probably the reason if I ever wanted to add them back. I probably could. And I think that's a big thing about portfolio playing is you never want to be not exposed to something that has market viability. At the same time, it doesn't matter if I have 10 or 15 shares. If I know I can get to like that 20% range, I'm okay. I'm okay letting that player go down below that exposure because I probably know I can get it back. Maybe it's not the exact league that I want or the exact league that I originally had him. But I bet you if I wanted, I could go back and get my Grant Calcaterra exposure back up to like 20. It was at 20, cut it down to 11, for an example, and I could probably get it back up to 20 if I wanted. So I had to kind of just let go. And what I need to do is go through most of my leagues and I've started doing it. The ones that have waivers that run every single week or the ones that I can make trades with. I'm starting to kind of throw some of these tight ends or just flat out cut them for some of those running backs. So I go, you know what? Is this the right process though? So I wanted to put the warp data down on paper and just make sure it looked right. So I went back through the last three years worth of warp data and I just wanted to find out like, where does the warp data say roster construction should be in a 0.75 tight end premium? So 1.75 for tight end premium. And so I looked at all of the players that were above one warp for the season. And that's kind of where it lines up the number of players that you would have on a typical 30-man roster. And here was the aggregate. Over the last three seasons, the number of running backs that were above one warp was 15.6, the number of receivers was 26.3, and the number of tight ends was 8. Then when you go down to 0.5, the number of running backs that was over 0.5 warp was 33, the number of receivers was 44.3 the number of tight ends was 20.33. So again, if you're just looking at the flex viability of those players, you're probably right around like 22, 23% of the players you want to roster. And I'm excluding quarterbacks here, right? But around 22 to 23%, so it's under 25% is the big key there, should be tight ends. And that kind of tracks with what I'm talking about with my roster construction, right? If I said five was the magic number and the max number of quarterbacks was four to five, I'm sitting right there, right around 20%. And the numbers back that up. The numbers are around 22% of where tight ends track in terms of being equal to the other players. But then I look at what my portfolio is and I go, man, my portfolio numbers of tight ends was over 25%. You know, if you add up the receivers, the running backs and the tight ends, it was over 30% almost. So I go, that was the big thing that I've been a little bit too obsessive with is stashing these tight ends. Then when you look at the optimal roster construction over a long period of time, you know, in the warp tool, you can look at the roster construction tab, it's right around two and a half. And then there's a bunch of droppable spots. So what that tells me right there is the tight ends were probably overestimating how many tight ends actually get into even the, the above zero warp range you know, that's like kind of the extreme minimum. And above zero on average, it's only been 33 per season. Over the last three years, it's been 33.6 per season. And that's not a lot. We're talking about a lineup league. And we're talking about players, you know, tight ends can spike out of anywhere to get a touchdown. So we're just looking at season long warp over zero only 33.6. Yet I look at how many of I'm carrying in my portfolio, and I'm going that's way too many. So that's a long-winded way of saying my biggest mistake that I'm rectifying over the next couple months is I'm carrying too many tight ends. Now, how do I fix it? Well, obviously the easy fixes are go through. I have to drop some shares of guys that, hey, I like, but I'm just going to have to let a couple go. Charlie Kohler, love Charlie Kohler's profile. He's in a great situation to get opportunity in Baltimore. But I have too many of them. There's gonna be a couple where I'm gonna to have to go, you know what? I'm gonna to have to make a tough decision on that Charlie Kohler share. Cole Turner. I even added more Cole Turner. He's been the only tight end I've really added over the last week after the Armani Rogers injury. I figured, hey, Cole Turner, that's one less player to compete with. So I've added some Cole Turns, but I'm at 15 Cole Turner's now. And I'm like, man, I gotta find a place where I can cut a couple of those. And some are going to be easier, but some are going to be tougher. And then there's guys like Josh Oliver, right? I have 16 shares of Josh Oliver. He signed a $7 million contract for three years. So a three-year, $21 million deal with Minnesota, he's going to have a role. Josh Oliver is going to have a role. But then I look, okay, what formats do I really, really want Josh Oliver? Best ball? Start two tight end leagues? two PPR leagues with 13 or more starters, 12 or more starters. So really, I got to probably cut that 16 down to maybe eight, nine, and really optimize where I'm carrying those. So I think that's the biggest learning lesson. And then there's others. There's other players that I'm still holding, Albert O, Hunter Henry, players like that where I go, you know what, they could be usable, but are there some spots where I can cut those down? So it's going to take some work. Uh, It's going to take quite a bit of movement, adds, drops, maybe some spam trades to get that tight end number right around five. Right now it's down from like 7.9 to 6.86, but I want to get that down to around five by time we start the season. It's going to be easy just to cut some guys when rosters cut down, but there's going to be some tough decisions too, where I'm going to have to say, you know what, I'm going to have to let a couple of those shares go. So that's been one of my biggest faux pas is I went a little too overboard with tight ends when really I should have been carrying more running backs, even guys that are not on rosters. I should have been saying, hey, I need to roster these running backs over these tight ends and the numbers back it up, not just the historical warp data, but it goes back to my own advice on the roster construction series. And that's part of what I'm trying to do with this warp tool is align roster construction with the warp because they're not the exact same thing. But when they work in congruence, you really get the pieces to the puzzle of how to build your team. Now, what players to pick within that range and what prices to acquire or sell them or trade them at, that's a different component. You know, that's the market component. That's the projection component that you have to bring in, but you want to get the warp side and the roster construction side in tune. Then you go out and say, you know what, my rosters are in tune. They're ready to go for the format of the league that I'm in. Now I'm going to go play the market. Now I'm going to say, hey, my roster construction wants to be X or wants to be Y, but let me go play the market with the players that I currently have within that construction. That's when you can be a little dangerous. And that's part of the exercise of going through and saying, I'm overexposed at tight end how do I liquidate or how do I replace? So that's going to be my number one goal over the next couple months is fixing that component and getting to a point where, hey, that running back number is probably over 15 or 16 in the offseason. And then guess what? I know there's going to be a ton of running backs that I'm currently carrying that when we get to opening day, they're not going to be on a roster. They may not even be signed. They may literally not even be on a practice squad. Then I can make a very easy decision to say, hey, Justin Jackson never signed with anybody. Those seven Justin Jackson shares that I'm holding, all of them can be cut. No sweat because he's not even on a team. So it's an easy cut. It isn't having to make a tough decision on cutting three tight ends between Charlie Kohler, Cole Turner, and Hunter Long. Because I could sit there and go, I have to cut one of those three. Which one do I cut? I have no clue. They're probably all the same odds of being impactful in this format. And even in the right format, it's probably low. So I just want to alleviate that problem before I have to make that decision. So that's the number one thing, cutting down on the number of tight ends that I'm carrying. And this is speaking from somebody that plays in all, pretty much all 1.75, 2, 2 plus PPR and start two leagues, let alone the person that's just in PPR or 1.5 tight end premium. I guarantee you are carrying way too many tight ends. And it's just a common thing because you go, hey, that tight ends on a roster, let me pick them up. But you would be shocked at how many roster reviews and teams that I look at and I say, oh, is this 1.5 premium? Yep. How many roster spots are there? Uh, 32. Why do you have eight tight ends? Makes no sense. And so then you have to think, okay, how can I alleviate this problem by giving up the least amount of value? Three or four of them you probably just have to cut. But maybe there's one you can trade that's kind of in the dead zone the guy that's you know less than half a win in warp, why can't I trade that guy if someone will give me a second and then I'll just backfill him with the guy that has no value because I want to get down to that roster construction like in a 1.5 premium where I only have three, period. I don't have any more than three. If I have four and they're all good, I'm carrying one too many that has market value. I need to liquidate that player immediately. So that's the biggest thing. The tight ends, something I'm destined to fix over the next couple months and that's my number one goal. So I know that was kind of redundant, but for the degenerates that love talking tight ends and love talking roster construction, hopefully that helped. Uh, I'll be back with the other two things that I'm looking to do uh, before the end of the summer on my teams or mistakes that I'm looking to correct. But before we do that, let's get to the ad from Underdog Fantasy. Destination Dynasty is now sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I'm gearing up for Underdog's Fantasy season-long best ball contest. It's a great way to put your best ball skills to the test against me and everyone else at the Destination Debbie team. The best part? If you use promo code CHILL when you sign up, you'll get a 100% deposit match up to $100. And if you deposit $10, you'll get access to Strategize with us in the Destination Debbie Discord, where you can get additional stats, tips, and much, much more to dominate your drafts. What are you waiting for? Head over to underdogfantasy.com, sign up, Again, use promo code CHILL to get a 100% deposit match up to $100 and deposit your $10 to get access to the Destination Debbie Discord. Back to the show. Welcome back. So the next thing I wanted to talk about, uh, something that I made a little bit of a mistake on, and really, quite frankly, it's been something that I've made a mistake on a couple years in a row. But after getting the Warp Tool, really examining my entire portfolio from a construction perspective, uh, one thing that I definitely did this year Uh, And going forward, I'm going to try to alleviate that. And the question is going to be, how do I fix it between now and the beginning or the middle of this upcoming season is how many picks that I made in the third and fourth round. And so what I did is I went through and just looked at the players that are going outside of the top 24 in current ADP and just how many shares of those players that I have. And they're players that I did not pick up on waivers. So these are guys that I actually drafted in the third or fourth round, and I'm probably missing a couple just because I didn't go through every league, but I picked the group of players that were going in this range, and I used a couple different ADP sources. So as long as they were going in the third or fourth round of a Superflex league, I picked how many shares of those players that I have, and how many am I currently rostering within my portfolio right now. So the number that I came up with was 93. 93. So we're talking players like Sean Tucker, Chris Rodriguez, Izzy Abanacanda, Chase Brown, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt, Zach Evans, Kayshawn Boutte, Tank Dell, Eric Gray, Evan Hall, Michael Wilson, Dwayne McBride. Then there's some tight ends in there, guys like Luke Schoonmaker, Darnell Washington, Brenton Strange, Tucker Craft. Now, obviously, there were some formats where those guys went slightly higher, but for the most part, these were all third and fourth round picks, right? Now, I have 93 shares of those players, and I counted a couple others that I know uh, got picked in like the fourth round of some 14 team leagues, Uh, but I could have even gone further and said players that I've added for free, but I really wanted to stick in that third or fourth round range. And I go, you know what? I'm carrying 93 shares of those players. And is that too many? No. But then I look back and I go, man, that's 93 picks that I made in that range, and I kind of wish I could liquidate some of those. You know, I have 12 shares of Chris Rodriguez. I have 10 shares of Tucker Craft. I have eight shares of Keyshawn Boutte. Eight shares of Evan Hall. Six shares of Eric Gray. I have a bunch of others, Cedric Tillman, Jalen Hyatt. And now there were spots where I wanted to take those. You know, I'm a portfolio player. So just because I say I don't want to draft third round receivers doesn't mean I'm going to have zero shares out of 50 leagues, right? Now, obviously, I don't have a ton of those, but I have some. And then there's also some that were in best ball leagues. And okay, in a best ball league, I can stomach drafting Jalen Hyatt. I can stomach drafting Tank Dell or Cedric Tillman. But the idea is I probably made too many of these picks. So I looked at my current pick portfolio next year. And in 2024, currently out of 43 leagues, and I'm going to exclude Devi leagues here just because the pick values are totally different But out of 43 leagues where picks actually have some value, so even in some Devi leagues where there are Devi, it's Devi depleted, but you can draft Devi. I typically value those picks pretty much the same as I would in a rookie draft. Because for every rookie that's gone, you can draft a Devi for the most part. So we're talking about ones that are not just totally Devi depleted, where the picks just really don't have the same value. I have 43 of those leagues, and I'm currently sitting on 85 third round picks out of those 43 leagues. So I already have almost 200% of the number of third round picks that I could have. I already have those in my portfolio. So I did do some trading back. I did do some trading out where I would trade like a mid third instead of drafting another share of Cedric Tillman or another share of this tight end or, you know, taking another Eric Gray or Evan Hall at the end of the third. I would take like a third and a fourth in a trade or even just a third in a trade. Because I think there's some capacity where you say, you know what, this pick is going to be more useful to me. Go back to the show uh, that I did talking a couple weeks ago about making rookie picks and how often do you want to make rookie picks after a certain spot. And definitely the third and fourths violate that rule. Like, I don't want to make every third and fourth. They're much better used during the season if I can move them even for just one spot start at running back or quarterback. So I have 85 third round picks. But I'm also sitting on 93 shares of a bunch of those players that I probably could turn around and I could trade some of those for thirds. I could probably trade most of those for fourths. And looking at my third and fourths next year, I have 47 fourths. I have 85 thirds. So my plan is, is I want to start either stockpiling seconds or thirds in 2025. So there's a couple players in there that, okay, I couldn't get a 25 second today But I bet you if something positive happens with Chase Brown or something positive happens with Tillman or Hyatt or Tucker Craft or Tyler Scott or Michael Wilson or Tank Dell or Keyshawn Boutte or Zach Evans, there's a bunch of them where, you know what, maybe I can get a 25 second. I could definitely get a 24 third. So I want to focus on liquidating those with the idea of the second part of this strategy isn't to go into next year. And this is part of the problem that I probably thought of on the clock is, man, I have a lot of third round picks. Because I looked at that counter, I go, man, I have 85 third round picks next year. That's way too many. But is it? Because it isn't way too many. If I plan to use a lot of those in deals when I need to get a trade done, I need to throw in a third to get a deal done. Fine. That's why you have them. I need to buy a running back this week. I need to buy a backup quarterback this week. Instead of trying to fix that problem today, I don't need to buy the insurance today. Why spend for the insurance premium or the insurance policy today when I have those thirds? I can probably buy a gross spot starting quarterback if I really, really needed one. I can probably buy a spot start running back during the season if I need one. So I need to execute it by using those picks instead of going into the season and going, man, I'm going to make 85 third round picks because that's essentially what I've done in the last couple of years. And they've been good classes, especially 2022. This was a big thing that I did is I drafted a ton of running backs, a ton of Jerome Ford, Hassan Haskins, Amir White, Ty Chandler, Pierre Strong, Kevin Harris, Tyrion Davis-Price, just loaded up on all those running backs. Some were worth it, some weren't. But the idea was I didn't need that many shares. I would have been better off not using them on players, holding them and using them for deals during the season because you're chasing that season-long warp that you can buy when it's right in front of you. It's probably a sunk cost. And I think that's the biggest thing that people get caught up in is, man, I don't want to pay a third for that gross running back. I don't want to pay a third for Kenyon Drake during the season just because there's a chance that he could get some touches this week because there's two injuries in his backfield. But that's why you have those thirds. That's why I've accumulated 85 thirds. And to continue to build those picks up even two years out I want to always play that way that fits into the roster construction strategy. So you always have to have an influx of those picks. So you need to be able to look at your players and go, where can I draw from my player pool to those future picks? Where can I make those deals? So I want to continue to build that up. I probably want to focus instead of accumulating more 2024 thirds, which I think I could easily get that number to like 100. If I wanted to start trading away some players, especially as we get to training camp hype, and preseason performances, I could probably get that over 100. What I really want to focus on is getting the twenty twenty five seconds, is building up my second rounders. Because sometimes a league, a second rounder can hold a little bit more power to buy a specific player. Maybe a second can buy you a player that can give you warp for a month. A player that's a little higher tier than the spot start Kenyon Drake or the spot start Daryl Williams. Like usually those guys can be had for a third. But there's other players that just are a tier above that require some seconds. And I don't have enough seconds. I only have 53 seconds next year. So I want to build that up. But even if I can't get 2024, I want to try to get 2025. And I want to use the players that are kind of in this replaceable range that are easily liquidatable for 2025 seconds. So getting more picks liquidated is something that I want to do. And it really isn't a mistake that I didn't liquidate enough, I just want to continue to focus on liquidating between now and the middle of the season. And I want to have most of them in place before we get to the middle of the season so that I can start using them on the teams that I know know, need a spot start or I know might need some pushing points towards the end of the year. So I think that's a really important idea to go through, look at your teams, find those ranges where you can be comfortable liquidating and even build two years out. Because it's always nice to have an influx of picks. You never know what opportunities will come up, and you want to be the one that has those extra picks at your disposal. So just looking at that range of rookie alone, there's probably other players that I'm rostering that fit the same ranges that are not rookies that I could also go through and liquidate from. But just from those rookies alone, I go, you know what? I probably was a little aggressive in making some of those picks. And how many of those deals could I have gotten maybe a 25 second instead of drafting you know, that Jalen Hyatt, or instead of drafting that Cedric Tillman, like I might've been able to get a 25 second, even if I would have added like a fourth and the pick on the clock, maybe it was a late second or an early third, right? Maybe I could have got a 25 second. I just didn't have the time to do it. Or I was in 22 drafts at one time and I just didn't have the focus to go and actually grind the trade. And I just made the pick. So something I want to rectify, something I want to change going forward, I definitely don't want to use these picks. And I think this is the biggest part of the strategy that people miss is I could show you my pick portfolio and say, man, I have all these seconds and thirds in the next couple of years. And people would go, oh, well, Scott, why do you have those picks? The hit rates on those players are so low. And I agree. They are low. But that's why I did that Warp episode and talked about how, yeah, because the hit rates are so low on actually forecasting the player a year or two out, or even forecasting the player in May when you're making the draft pick to what they may be in November or October of the upcoming year, that's even a bad bet. Those picks are much better spent on the open market, especially if you're in an active league, to just buy immediate spot starts, immediate shots at Warp. Now, is it always going to hit? No. No and a lot of times it's just going to be a sunk cost. I traded away that third. The player was in my lineup. He didn't produce. Oh, well, I lost a third, but there's a reason you collect them at also times where other people are making bad bets. You made the bet, you lost, but that's the idea. And I really want to refine that. I think it is the biggest edge right now in dynasty. If you are willing to grind, if you play a portfolio and you're willing to take those picks when they're available. Stash them, use them later. It is still the biggest edge in the game because people miss it. People get attached to names. They're less likely to liquidate at the times when they should. And they're just quite frankly not active. They don't send the offer. They don't have a large scale plan and they end up falling behind and they end up having to disrupt their roster construction or pull from uncomfortable places to get deals done where you can go during the season because I have three extra seconds and five extra thirds. Guess what? I never have to dent trading anything from my core or my future first to get trades done. Now, if I want to make a big move, sure, I'll use those for when the big guns come out. But generally just to buy some spot start points and buy some warp, I really never have to pull from anything that I don't have a surplus of. So that's a big strategy that I want to focus on with the draft picks and with a lot of players over the next three or four months. And then finally, the third thing that I want to focus on, and I've done a show, I believe this was right around the senior bowl, uh, when I put out this episode about trying to get ahead of the game and trading for future high first round picks, when it doesn't seem obvious that the person is going to hold a first round pick. And this is the third thing that I really want to focus on. Now, this Of the three things that I talked about today is the one that is the most time-consuming. You probably have to sit down, you probably have to look at your individual league, spend a little time, 10-15 minutes looking at the league, pull up Dynasty Daddy. Dynasty Daddy is a great tool for this because it sorts every team in your league by contender, rebuilder, fraud. I believe there's one in there that says super team, so you can see the teams that are just extremely stacked. Then you also have the ones that are frisky or the ones that you go, you know what, I can look at this team and see why it can make the playoffs, but I can also see why it could fail. And then you obviously have it synced with the KTC value, so you can look at the overall team value, but then you can also look at the strength at each position. So it ranks it by overall value. And also including that is the draft capital that the team holds. But then you can look at the positions. You know, where are they at at quarterback, tight end, wide receiver, running back? Like you can break it down and you can really get an idea of which teams you think are confident that are going to be contenders and the ones that you can go, you know what, that team could be a contender, but they don't have a lot of draft capital. Their quarterbacks aren't that good. And maybe their overall roster is like ninth out of 12, but it has them right in the middle. And where can I make strategic bets about getting those picks? You know, back to the warp episode from a couple weeks ago. Listen, there's extreme value, especially now with the way that we're starting to dissect rookie classes and with the way the current dynasty pool is set up, elite quarterbacks, running backs that can smash right away, and then positional advantages. And then you add in whatever receivers that people perceive to be elite. So this year you have like JSN. Next year you're going to have Marvin Harrison. There's going to be a couple of those every year, just with the demand at wide receiver and dynasty that exists. But that's what you want. You want a positional advantage tight end. You want a first round quarterback. You want a running back that you can plug and play and potentially get difference making production from right away, which the way NFL treats running backs now, there's maybe what, one to two per year and then you want the high-end receivers. And that usually equates to like, what, four, five, six players per class, and that's it. And then it drops off. Doesn't mean you can't get good players in the late first, early second. You can't. Usually you can get players with decent profiles, right? First round tight ends, first round receivers, second or third round running backs, fine. All of those are decent picks, but they're not difference-making picks. You go and pull up Startup ADP, Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Anthony Richardson. Those three guys are going in like the top 20 picks or higher in a startup. And think of the value if you can turn just a random wide receiver two plus a third round pick into a potential first round startup pick overnight. Now you have to do a little projecting. You may have to take some risk. You may have to even trade away your own first and go, you know what? I think I have a better shot of being in the playoffs than this team. I will add to my first to get there first. And this takes some balls to make that kind of trade. You have to examine the teams that you're making a deal like that with and go through and say, you know what, this is a strategic and educated spot where I'm going to make that trade. And you have to be savvy. And the reason is the average dynasty manager is smarter. You'll notice that especially with next year's class being Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison, you know, your format, if it's tight end friendly, Brock Bowers, the person that's already focused on that pick, they will tell you that. You send them an offer for their first round pick. Half the time you get a response, not trading my first. This could be Caleb Williams. Not trading my first. This could be Marvin Harrison. So you already know. There's already a couple teams where it's either obvious based on their roster, or they will tell you based on their response when you try to trade for their first, not trading it. Those are the ones you go, those are off limits. Then you probably have a couple teams, and yours may be one of them, where you go, I'm going to be in the playoffs. I just am. You know, I have Lamar Jackson. I have Patrick Mahomes. I have three top twelve receivers. I have a bell cow running back. I have Mark Andrews. Like it's going to be really hard for your team to miss the playoffs. Is it going to win the title? No, but it's a really strong bet that my team's going to make the playoffs. And so you can look at the warp tool to kind of look at like where you stand in terms of like some of the players that had past warp that was good. You can then look at the Dynasty Daddy breakdown and say, okay, my team is in the top five of every category. Okay, that's probably a team I'm going to bet that's going to make the playoffs. And then there's also a simulator tool that they just came out with on there. And there's multiple simulators where you can essentially sim an upcoming season with your league. Now, is that perfect? No, there has to be an input in there with some projections and stuff to make that spit out fantasy point results. But when you plug it into the simulator and you go, yeah, every time I run the simulator, it has my team finishing in the top four in points. Every time I run the simulator, it has that team over there finishing in the bottom four. So making those strategic bets and hiding that value. And really what you want to do is you want to catch somebody that thinks they're in the middle. You want to catch somebody that thinks they are a starter away from getting into the playoffs. And you kind of want to find a way to get their first round pick. You essentially want to bet against their team. Even if you have to give up your first and a usable player for their first, you will know. Send out that offer. Find a couple spots to send out offers like that. And when someone gets that offer, you're going to get free information regardless. They're either going to decline it and they're going to tell you, hey, even though you're giving me Rondell Moore and Isaiah Pacheco for free and swapping first, I'm still not doing it because my pick is going to suck. I'm not trading it. Perfect. They just gave you a free piece of information as to how they view their team. You can now look at that roster and go, you know what, I'm probably chalking that team in the category of, I'm not really going to have to compete with that team for win now players. Like that's not a team I'm going to have to compete with on the trade market when the time comes. So even if they reject the trade and they won't move their pick, perfect. I've kind of categorized where I think they're going to be. Then you get other teams that will see that trade and they'll go, you know what? I'm kind of in the middle, uh, but I don't think I'm going to be able to beat Scott's team. So why would I trade the pick? And they'll just tell you that. They'll say, hey, I'm not really comfortable trading my first. Maybe we'll explore it at another time. But the point is send that offer. Send the offer where you're literally adding to your first to get their first. And ideally, you wouldn't have to give up your first. Ideally, if you think you might be in the middle, you'd probably rather trade players to get there first. But the point is, and the overall theme is, it's okay to overpay to take shots on future firsts that can be in this range. It is the cheapest way where you can get your hands on a first-round startup quarterback. It's the cheapest way you can get your hands on a bell cow running back or an elite receiver. Nobody here that listens to this show wants to go in and pay the market price for Bijan Robinson. Very few people can go in and actually get a deal done where they buy Joe Burrow. It's very hard to go buy even C.D. Lamb or A.J. Brown. In fact, when you go try to buy one of those receivers, oftentimes you go, you know what, there's probably a better bet to make with a cheaper receiver. You know, that's what last week's show was about was that tier of like low end receiver ones. I don't want to pay two first for those guys. I don't want to pay two first for Chris Olave. I don't want to pay two first for Amon Ross St. Brown. But the person that has them has every right to say, hey, they're probably worth two first. I don't disagree. But there are spots where you can try to get your hands on future lottery picks that the person just doesn't quite see it as a lottery pick. And the best are when they just flat out say, Hey, you know what? I'm willing to trade my pick. Let's go. I'm making a run for it. If I get burned, if things go south, if I have a bunch of injuries, fine. But if you can get that deal done, think about how powerful it is if you can buy a middle of the pack teams first in June and you sell them like a running back or you sell them like a wide receiver too. And you think about, okay, that could help them, but it's also a bet against them buying a player in a non difference making range that, man, there's injuries that could happen, there's things that could go south. But they could also just get a decent player, a player that doesn't move the needle, a player that if you look at the warp data, you go, cool, they paid a first for DJ Moore. You gave him a third and DJ Moore, they gave you a first and DJ Moore ended up giving you 0.3 warp on the season. Cool. He didn't hurt him, but he didn't help him. He really didn't help that team get any closer to the playoffs. So think about it that way. And that's something I really want to do is go through most of my leagues, not all of your leagues. These are going to work. Some of your leagues, you probably have firsts that you're not even interested in masking your own first as being, okay, maybe this first is a little bit better than everyone else sees it. Like you're not even interested in trading your 1st You're probably going the other way. Hey, I just want to sell. How many picks can I get? And then there's probably some other leagues where people already know, hey, Scott's won two straight championships there. His first is already a low end first. So trying to actually sell them on trading first with you there, that isn't going to work either. So you may have to just use strictly players or volume of assets to try to get their picks. But that's one of the biggest things that I try to do when I have 15 minutes to go in and study a league, plug it into Dynasty Daddy, plug it into the warp tool, run some simulations and say this is going to be a strategic bet. And then I'm just betting that next year I have 58 24 firsts out of 43 leagues where picks are valued like I talked about earlier. I want to hope the distribution of where those picks are, probably 65% of them are in the top six. Some of those I'm going to earn, some of those I'm going to earn later picks because I've just kept my own first. But I want to see the majority of those picks that I carry be top six picks instead of bottom six picks. And you can only get it there by strategically picking through which ones you want to bet on a year out. So that's the major thing that I'm going to have to spend a little bit more time to do, but I plan on dedicating, you know, 15, 30 minutes to every league, maybe once or twice before the offseason is over and seeing how many of those deals I can make strategic bets against the pick that I'm acquiring. And hopefully it ends up in the top six. So those are the three things. Uh, Obviously, moving tight ends off my teams, getting that aggregate number lower. Adding to some of my future seconds and third round picks in the form of liquidation and trading away a lot of those players that I just drafted with third and fourth round picks this year. And then finally, making strategic bets against future firsts on teams that I think are stuck in the middle, but they're willing to play ball on trading away their future firsts. With that, I will go ahead and sign off. As always, you can find everything at Destination Devi at patreon.com slash all gas. Uh, Bonus content from me over on Patreon.com slash Dynasty and Chill. We have the episode coming up live on Unlisted YouTube this Thursday night at 7 p.m. with Jeremy, the owner of Dynasty Daddy. So if you're interested in Dynasty Daddy or you use it, uh, you can certainly sign in or sign up for the Patreon, and be there live for that show, where it'll essentially just be a Q&A of how to maximize the use of his tool, and maybe what's in the store, or should I say what's in store for the future of the site. And then always the newsletter, which is allgas.beehive.com backslash subscribe uh, to get everything from the Destination Debbie crew every week, Friday morning, via the newsletter. So hopefully everybody enjoyed this episode. Thought-provoking. Uh, stuff that you can be doing during this dynasty dead period for the next two months. Uh, Let me know if you have any questions and love to talk about this kind of strategy. So if you get any cool deals or anything that you want to shout out, uh, just tag me on Twitter uh, and talk about it. And I'll try to respond. And especially if it uh, leads to some further discussions of this type of stuff, that's exactly what we're doing, exactly what we're here for over the next couple months. So I appreciate everybody. Appreciate all the loyal listeners, everybody at Destination Debbie that supports me that challenges me, that gives me ideas. And then a shout out to the Heisman voice chat crew, um, everybody over at Heisman that jumps in there on a daily basis. A lot of these discussions on these shows come from stuff that we talk about over there in that voice chat. And it's literally just us sitting there during the day. Um, A lot of people just are on, on there while they're at work you know, they might not be able to talk, but they just listen. And there's always good discussion in there. So if you want to hear from myself and Ray and a lot of the other content creators at Destination Debbie, consider signing up for the Heisman tier. You won't look back once you're in there. So appreciate everybody. And that is the sign off. Be chill.